Uh, dear church family, sometimes a church or individuals within a church can have a very wrong view of the Lord's Supper. In this sense, that they think that a person must have full assurance of faith before you can go to the Lord's Supper. And they forget that the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to strengthen our weak faith. So that coming to the Lord's Supper is not coming to testify how strong I am in faith or what a godly person I am. But it's to come needy, empty-handed, confessing that I hate sin and I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to grow in communion with Him, poor as I am, weak as I am, needy as I am. Jesus comes to strengthen in the sacraments the weak faith of his people. So that anyone who can say, I have no hope of salvation in myself, it's all in Christ, but oh, I wish I had more faith. That person is to come, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, Christ has appointed this feast for me and all believers, no matter how weak they are in faith, to remember the Lord's death. And then to focus at the Lord's Supper on Jesus and who He is and how faithful He's been and how He suffered and died for the smallest babe in grace. And so tonight, I want to bring you a message that focuses uh, on this aspect of Jesus' ministry. From the text words of Matthew 12, verse 20. And I'll say very little about the context. I really want to focus just on these, these words, this glorious promise, this, this beautiful text Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. A bruised reed shall he not break, smoking flax shall he not quench, until he send forth judgment unto victory. Victory. So our theme tonight is Christ strengthens you, weak believer. Christ strengthens you, weak believer. First, by describing you. That's what the text does. It describes you. Second, by binding you up because of this rich promise. And third, by leading you on to victory. Christ strengthens you, dear believer, by describing you, by binding, by binding you up, by leading you on to victory. So this text, as you probably know, is a description of the Messiah 
given already by Isaiah and applied to Christ by Matthew. In verse 18, we read, Behold, says the Father, my servant, whom I have chosen. Chosen for for what? Chosen for what purpose? Well, for the great task of saving sinners. Isaiah goes on to say, My beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. That is to say, I will give him, the Lord is saying, all the necessary qualifications, all the gifts of the spirit, so that he will show judgment to the Gentiles. That is, the poor heathen who live in spiritual darkness and ignorance shall come to him. And then verse 19 says, He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. What does that mean? Well, it means that Christ will not draw attention to himself. He will not yell slogans or incite the people as did the zealots and other political agitators of his day. But also not do as the Pharisees, to draw attention to himself. This Messiah, this Messiah would be the opposite of the Pharisees. They wanted to be seen and heard by the people. This Messiah would do wonders and then tell the people not to spread his fame. The Pharisees were proud, self-righteous, self-appointed upholders of what they considered to be the law of God. They looked down on the common people who did not know the law. They despised the weak in faith. They had no compassion for the masses, no tender feelings toward the poor and the needy and the afflicted. But Jesus was the opposite. Jesus was gentle. He was kind. He was merciful. He reached out to the, to the uh, special needs people. To even to harlots and prostitutes. There was a cutting edge to his mission of reaching out to the poor and the needy, even publicans and sinners of all kinds. And the worst kind of people flocked to him and were received by him. There's something unique about Jesus with regard to the weak, with regard to the poor with regard to the little ones, with regard to the downtrodden. And all of that comes to the foreground then in the next verse, which is our text. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. Now what do these words mean? What is a bruised reed? What is a a smoking flax or a smoking wick. Well, a reed, as you, as you know, is a slender, frail plant that grows in marshes and swamps. And it's used here as an illustration of weakness, of feebleness, a bruised reed is even more feeble. It hangs its head. It can't stand upright without being propped up somehow. And smoking flax 
Well, the reference is probably to the wick of a candle or a lamp. His flame is almost put out. In front of the seminary, we have uh, five or six lights at night. And uh, I've been noticing the last few nights that two of the lights, they're, they're flickering as I walk home. I noticed they're, they're almost going out. I thought to myself even last night, we got to replace them very soon. Well, both of these emblems that Jesus sets before us tonight are illustrations of the life of the believer at a low ebb. And there are many such believers Today, I'm sure there's many here sitting here tonight. You feel weak. You feel like you're at a a low ebb. Jesus is describing you tonight. You're poor. You're needy. You look forward to the Lord's Supper in some ways. In other ways, you feel you're not not really ready. You, You want to be so much more holy, so much more mature. You're often bowed down under the burden of your indwelling sin. You You know that the flame of divine love has been kindled in your heart, but that flame is so low, you're afraid it's going to expire at any moment. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like the power of the world, the power of sin, sometimes has dominion over you. And and, and Romans 6 tells you, sin shall not have dominion over you. And you say, well, can can I be a believer then when sin is so powerful? Well, let's examine, let's examine tonight both of these illustrations in the life of faith and then examine our own heart to see whether we we know of of these things, whether we know what it means to be a bruised reed and smoking flax among the people of God. So how, how does a child of God who perhaps does lack full assurance of faith, and yet does have faith, how does that child of God resemble a bruised reed? Well, through my sense, my consciousness of my weakness. I feel bruised many times. Even though Christ is my only hope, I I, I don't dare deny that. But I'm bruised by trials and afflictions, by indwelling sin, by discouragements, by diseases, by opposition within and without. But most of all, I'm bruised because, and does this describe you? Because I can't live to the glory of God, it seems, the way I want to. I want to give everything to him, surrender everything to him. But I, I, I do that, but I keep taking things back and I, I keep burdening myself with unbelieving thoughts instead of just trusting the Lord. I feel, I feel so weak. I feel like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress still with a certain amount of burden on my back. It's like the law condemns me and so much is against me. I'm convicted of my sin, of, of righteousness and judgment. and I, so, I'm so far from where I ought to be. 
I've transgressed all the commandments of God. I'm, I'm bruised. I'm weak. I'm weak in knowledge. I feel so ignorant sometimes. I open the Bible, I don't understand it. I'm weak in faith many times. I, I know I'm supposed to lay hold of Christ and his promises. And it sounds so simple and so beautiful and so easy. And, and yet it's sometimes so hard for me. I'm, I, I'm more worried about what's going to happen to me. More worried about the fact that I might go back like a dog to his vomit. Or I might fall back into sin. And I just... Don't feel that strength in Christ the way I ought to feel. I know I should be so much stronger in faith. And then I feel weak in hope. Weak in hope. I can't seem to build with a strong degree of confidence on the rock Christ Jesus. I hesitate to say, He is mine and I am His. And I'm weak in joy. I feel more joyless than joyful. Far too often. So often I miss the sweet tastes and comforts of the promises of the Bible. I hear other people of God talk about it. I think, well, then I must be unconverted. I just don't seem to have that constant stream of joy the way others have it. And, and, and I'm weak in love. I know that Christ should be my first love. and Well, sometimes I, I hope He is. I, I think He is. But I, I, I know I should love Him so much more. I know that I'm so far from where I ought to be. I'm even weak in repentance. I know I'm just a big fat sinner in myself and I've fallen so many times and I should be repenting every day and some days I go without feeling the weight of my sin and I'm weak in prayer. I feel bruised in my prayer life. My prayers are so simple. They're so repetitive. They're so weak. There's so little childlike confidence, boldness in approaching the throne of grace. Actually, I feel weak in everything. If I'm a believer, I'm just, just a little tiny, tiny believer. I don't dare say I'm not a believer, but I've got so little strength. I feel just like you're talking about. I feel like Jesus is describing me right in these words. I'm a bruised reed. Weak and then bruised on top of it. Well, I say thanks be to God, <laughs> and welcome, welcome to the battle. A true believer who feels weak in himself is a great blessing. In fact, I've noticed in my life when I've interacted with God's people that the more, the more grace you have in any area of your life, the more you feel how little grace you have in that particular area. Did you ever think about that? When my mother was 80 years old, I asked her that day if she, if she could live her life all over again. What would she do different? And she was, we children knew her for more than anything else as a woman of prayer. She'd actually pray a couple hours a day. And her prayer life was her notable gift. In fact, when my parents had their 50th wedding anniversary, all five of us 
thanked my dad for one thing, we agreed to, and we agreed to thank my mother for one thing, and we agreed not to talk ahead of time about what we would say. Well, all five of us thanked my mother for her prayer life. And so her answer, she immediately responded, and it astonished me. She'd say, she said, oh, honey, I'd pray, I'd pray much more. I'm thinking, you? You would pray more? Don't you see how strong you are in prayer? See, the more loving you are, the more you feel how little you love. The more hopeful you are, the more you feel how little you hope. The more believing you are, the more you feel that you haven't arrived in, in strong faith. So God has a way of keeping his people weak in themselves so that they can be strong in him. John Newton once wrote a beautiful sermon, beautiful sermon actually, called Growth and Grace. And he, he talks about the, um, the blade, the ear, and the full corn in the ear. You know, you know that text. I think it's Mark 4, 28. The, the, the blade is the beginning there's life, it's coming out of the ground, beginning believer. Uh, the ear, that's the young men in grace. And then the full corn in the ear, the mature in grace. And there was a woman who wrote him a letter and said, this was such a good sermon, Reverend Newton. And it was so nice to hear from the sermon, or to read in the sermon, that, that I was one of the ones that are full corn in the ear. And Newton wrote back, my dear woman, I forgot to say one thing in my sermon. I must confess, I should have said that those who are full corn in the ear never recognize themselves as such. Ouch. But you see, there's something like that. Isn't that true? You talk to a really mature believer. A really mature believer will tell you, <laughs> I feel like many times like a bruised reed. I'm weak in myself. I'm only strong in Christ. So the fact that you feel weak in all these areas is not a bad sign. I'd be more concerned about you if you said, I am strong in faith, I'm strong in hope, I'm strong in joy, I'm strong in love, I'm strong in repentance. You know, I'm a really strong in prayer. I'm a really mature, prayerful Christian that other people can look up to. I'm, I'm really, I've really arrived. That would be a problem. That's what the Pharisees were like. What does the great Apostle Paul say? He says, I have not attained. I'm still, I'm still striving. He says, so the good that I would, I find myself not doing. The evil that I would not do, I find myself doing. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this body of death? So take heart. Don't be discouraged. Jesus is describing you. Jesus is describing you in this text. You are the bruised reed. He knows your need. And it awakens the compassion of his great heart because he gravitates to bruised reeds. He bruised your reed in order to draw you to himself. And he would keep you as a humble, bruised reed in yourself that you may keep living out of his fullness. And that's why he brings you at, to the Lord's Supper to strengthen that weak faith. You 
Bruce Reed, you are just the ones he wants to strengthen. Next Sunday morning. Or even tonight. But what about the smoking flax? How does that describe you? Well, by this metaphor, the idea is conveyed that grace may be present in the soul, but not much of it can yet be seen. Grace may be present in the soul without much of it being seen. Grace can be in a languishing condition in our hearts without yet to the point of backsliding. But there can be... Let me, let me compare it to something here. You can have a, a very good marriage, but you're not filled with as much excitement on certain days in your marriage as you are in other days. It's not bad, but it's not... Every day of marriage is not like being in the Swiss Alps or being full of ecstatic joy. It's not languishing in a bad way, but in spiritual life, you see, there can be times when you want your love to burn so brightly that when you see the flame go down a little bit, you become concerned. You, said, you say, am I languishing? Is my, is my candle going to go out? Well, it's still smoking, but is it going to go out altogether? That little spark, how can I rekindle it more? Now, some expositors think that flax refers to uh, tall, which is the coarse part of flax or, or hemp, which is considered to be garbage and therefore to be destroyed. And it's usually burnt up. And because there was often a lot of dirt and filth mixed with that flax, the flame could only burn in a smoldering kind of way. And the smoking flax would refer to the work of the Spirit in the heart of the sinner, but the towel would then be the filth and corruption of the believer's old nature. The refuse, the garbage of remaining corruptions. So the flame would be the life of God within you. The fire that God himself has kindled in the soul of his people when he regenerates them by word and spirit. And that will never go out, you see. That's what Jesus is saying. Even though it often looks like in the midst of the battle with indwelling sin, it looks like it is going to flicker out. And so, when the Holy Spirit sheds light on your soul and your consciousness of your ongoing corruptions, your inward sins, He also shows you, yes, yes, there is still a fire burning, a fire kindled by God Himself. You can't deny that you possess some grace, but it's so weak so that you mourn over your sin. And you wish you trusted Christ more. Your hearts go out to Him. You seek His face daily. You have hope in His mercy. 
you, you, you do love His Word. You do love His cause. You do love His church. You do love His people. You do love His holy day. But, but, but you long for a brighter flame. There's so much that holds you back from the kind of burning, bright flame that lights up the whole room of your soul. And so you, you feel these inward corruptions that stifle your spiritual life. And they're not always sins. It can just be the daily cares of family life or of work or, or meaningless thoughts that maybe fill your mind, crowd your brain. If only you could say that all the temptations, of course, came from outside of you, you'd feel a little better about yourself and that you resisted them all. But some of them have overpowered you. And some of them have found an open door into the city of man's soul. And so, these vain imaginations is like a flax that seems to bring down the flame, seems to crowd out the flame. You're, you're struggling. Yes, you're, you're glad the flame is never wholly extinguished, but you, you want it to burn brightly, and you can't say that it does. Well, you can't deny that there are times of trials, times when uh, the wind of affliction blows heavy in your life, and the flame does rise higher, perhaps at that time, as, as God gives you more faith, more hope, more love to, to cope with the trials. And yet even then, sometimes, the flax just brings you down, and you don't know when the trial is going to end, and you start wallowing in your in your unbelief, and, oh, it's just, it just feels dark. You feel, you feel it's like inside, like November weather, cloudy and dark, and the leaves have fallen, and you feel a little discouraged and depressed. You feel like smoking flax that has little, if any, flame. Jesus, you see, is describing you. He's describing you. And I want to tell you tonight, this is not at all uncommon. As a pastor, when you deal with the souls of God's children, that's the good news as a pastor. You get to hear people that speak the same language that you feel when you visit them. And that's that's what God's people often feel like. Shouldn't be that way, you say. It should be. We should always feel a bright, burning flame. Well, that's true. But what does God do? Well, God gives you the Lord's Supper every three months. He invites you to the table. He invites sinners. He invites bruised reeds. He invites smoking flax to encourage you. In the Lord's Supper, He blows upon that smoking flax to to, to, to Burn it into a flame again as you focus on Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. That's what you call having communion with Jesus at the Lord's Supper. It's precious. I hope you know something of it. He comes. He doesn't come as a different Christ in the Lord's Supper than he comes under regular sermons and regular worship. 
But as Robert Bruce, an early Puritan, put it this way, we don't get a different Christ in the supper than we do from, than the Word, but sometimes we get Christ better. Because He comes so low in the supper. Like Calvin said, He comes to minister to all five of our senses. We smell the bread and the wine. We, we, we touch it. We taste it. We see it. We hear the Word come to us as we eat it, as we drink it. He comes so low to lift us up, to sit us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, if I've been describing you, or better, if Jesus has been describing you in this text, you don't stay away from the Lord's Supper. You don't stay away from the very thing you need. You come. And the question isn't, shall I come, so much as it is, how can I grow? How can that smoking flax, how can that bruised reed be strengthened? That's what you should be groaning about before the Lord this week. Sighing for it. Pleading for it. Let my weak faith grow. Lord, it's perfectly designed for me. I'm weak in faith. And the Lord's Supper is for the weak in faith. I'm a perfect candidate because I'm a sinner who has nothing to offer thee. I come not as a good converted person. I come as a poor needy sinner trusting only in Christ. My hope in Christ. Now He will bind me up. That's, that's my second point. That he, will, he will bind you up. You see, Although you are bruised, you are not broken completely. If you're broken completely, your life would be hopeless. A broken reed that is not picked up. Actually, the head sinks beneath the water and is suffocated and the whole reed dies. But that's not you. You still have a little heat, a little light. There's still some smoke. There's still some fire but it needs to be rekindled. It needs to be fanned into flame. And that's what the Lord's Supper does. That's what Jesus does. A bruised reed shall he not break. And a smoking flax shall he not quench. He'll keep you alive. That's actually one of the doctrines of the Bible, by the way. We call it a big word, boys and girls. We call it perseverance of the saints. But the saints will persevere. They'll keep on going. They'll keep on being spiritually alive because Jesus perseveres with them. See, perseverance of the saints is so sure because of Christ's perseverance for the saints. Jesus, having loved them, his own, loved them to the end. And so now he's risen. Now he's ascended on high. Now he's interceding at the Father's right hand. And he's preserving them so that they persevere in looking to Him. A bruised reed shall He not break. Smoking flax shall He not quench. Because they're, they're dear to Him. Jesus loves the bruised reed. Jesus loves smoking flax. Jesus has great compassion for the weak. This is who He is. He's he comforts the needy. He says, I will never turn away anyone who comes to me. He says, the need, I will hear the needy when they call. He says, before they call, I will answer. 
He'll never break. He'll never break the bruised reed. He'll never quench the smoking flax. Well, why should he? The bruising is his own work. It's by his own spirit applying the law to his people that they were convicted of their sins and made to feel the burden of their guilt. It was his work to bruise them. His work to show them the impossibility of saving themselves. His work to bruise them, to drive them unto himself. You know what I'm talking about, I hope. It's one thing to say you are weak, of course, to speak the language. It's another thing to feel your weakness. The Spirit of Christ makes God's people to feel their weakness, to feel their sinfulness, to, to, to give up on their self-righteousness, and then to look to Jesus alone who can save them, to, to, to say with Peter, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I don't. I'm just weak. Is that your experience? You belong at the Lord's Supper. If you can say, there's nothing good in me, and my flesh dwells no good thing, all I know that this salvation is of the Lord and that I want more of it. I want more of Jesus. I want to know Him better. If you could just say that much, you already belong here. William Perkins put it this way in his book. He gave 15 marks of grace, 14 or 15 marks of grace, to help you examine yourself. And then he said, in one place, he said, and now maybe you still don't know if you're a believer. You you think maybe you have some of these marks, but you're not sure. Okay, I'm going to give you one more mark of grace, he says. And this one... Every believer can say yes to. Unqualified. Every believer. If you can't say yes to this one, you're not a believer. If you can say this, yes to this one, you're a believer. And what was it? Well, every single believer, he says, wants to know Christ better. Is that you tonight? See, if you're not a true believer, you, you, you don't really have much desire to know Christ better because he's a stranger. If he's a stranger to you, you can't remember him at his table. You can't do it in remembrance of him if, you, if you've never known him at all. But if you know him just a little bit, he's so lovely, you want to know him more and more and more and more. That's your desire. And yet you feel so weak because maybe you hear other people of God or you, or you read autobiographies and it seems like they know Jesus so much more than you do. Well, he will bind you up. He will bind you up. That's, that's the reason he came. He, he leads you to himself in your weakness and then he binds you up. Like Hosea says, I, I you know, Chapter 6, I think it's verse 1 and 2. He will, he will cut us back. He will, he will strip us down. He will, he will break us. But He will do it to heal us and to bind us up. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
breaks us down in our self-righteousness, builds us up in the righteousness of Jesus. How beautiful this is. He deals with bruised reeds and smoking flax, not according to what they deserve. We all deserve death and hell by nature. Nor according to what they fear. I will be broken. And I will be cast out. No, no, no. This is negative thinking. This is thinking apart from his word. This is thinking as if Jesus didn't exist. If Jesus didn't exist, yeah, God would destroy you. But he comes with healing ministry. Sometimes it's with one word. Sometimes it's with one look. Sometimes you can, one line from a Psalter can do it. Sometimes one verse from the Bible can do it. He comes and encourages you. He binds you up. You get a glimpse of him. You see your bridegroom looking in through the lattice of her room. You get a glimpse and you're encouraged and you're lifted up. You you get a love token from him. And your drooping spirit is raised up. This is what he does. And the more you experience that, you see, the more he grows you, before long you'll start seeing him as he is just in himself. And you'll be less dependent on little experiences. Because you'll see that your rock is Jesus and he's immovable and your weak faith is attached to him. And therefore, whether it's weak faith or strong faith, your foundation is on that rock, you see. And once you get hold of that, that Jesus is your rock and that no matter how weak your faith is, as long as it's true faith, as long as it's on that rock, you are strong in Christ, you see. And then the flames of love will begin to grow and the bruised reed will get strengthened. And you'll begin to cry out, Whom have I, Lord, in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. He will bind you up. And one of God's favorite places to bind you up is at his table. It's such a beautiful image, isn't it? Everything's ready. The wine is ready. The bread is ready. Symbols of his body and blood by which he strengthens his poor, needy people, by which he lifts up the poor bruised reeds and the smoking flax, by which he binds up their wounds and removes the burdens of their guilt. Oh, come then, weak sinner. Come then, bruised reed. Come then, smoking flax. Next Lord's Day morning, look to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Meditate on Jesus, who he is, what he delights to do. Come to the Lord's Supper with all your fears, with all your doubts, with all your need. Cry after Him. Believe in Him. Isn't He the object of your faith, even though it's weak? You don't look to yourself to save you. You've, You've learned that much, don't you? Haven't you? Your only hope is in His finished work, isn't it? You've learned that, I think. Yes, yes. You have to fight against sin. You have to fight against the sin of unbelief. You have to fight against the daily infirmities and lusts of the flesh. It always seems like the enemy will prevail. But isn't Jesus making himself more precious to you? Be honest now. 
if you look back five years ago in your life? And I could ask two questions. Do you think more of yourself now than you did five years ago? Or do you think less of yourself? I know what you'll say. Oh, less of myself. Less of myself. I should have been so much more holy. I should have been so much more mature. I can't believe I still battle so much with sin. So far from what I should be. Question number two. Do you think more of Jesus now than you did five years ago? Or less? Oh, pastor, so much more. So much more. He still, despite all my weakness, despite being a bruised reed and smoking flax, he still upheld me. He's been faithful to me. He's, he's been gracious to me. He's, I just see everything in him, but I, I, wish I, I wish I knew him better. You're growing in grace. What is growth in grace? Growth in grace is to say with John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's what the Lord is doing. Maybe it's through afflictions. Maybe it's through deep, deep trials that you feel are too big for you. But he's, he's bringing you down in yourself in order to bring you up in him. Praise God. It is good for me to have been afflicted. For thereby I've learned to know thy statutes. Thereby I've learned to know Jesus better in his faithfulness. He binds me up. I was so preoccupied with myself and my own feelings in my early days of spiritual life. So so intent on finding the smallest evidence that he was at work in me. But now I'm, I find myself looking more and more to Jesus, just looking to him, finding my comfort in him, being bound up in him. You see, Jesus empties you of yourself to fulfill Isaiah 43, verse 21. This people have I formed for myself so that they shall show forth my praise. So Jesus delights to take the smoking flax and the bruised reeds. He delights to show them their poverty and then to build them up in himself. He blows with his own mouth, as it were, the mouth of his uh, humiliation and exaltation, the mouth of his own work, the mouth of his own person uh, as prophet and priest and king and his natures and his states, his exaltation. He blows sparks into our smoking flax enabling it to be rekindled and to burn more brightly so that we are more assured of our portion in Him. And we learn to see more beauty in Him. We learn to say with the Queen of Sheba, the half of it was not told me. King Solomon, greater King Solomon, Lord Jesus Christ, all that there is contained in Thee. Oh, I would know Thee better and better and better. Come and strengthen my faith at the Lord's Supper until judgment leads to victory. You see, Jesus strengthens weak believers not only by describing them and binding them up, but also leading them on, leading you on to victory. That's how the text ends. So judgment leads to victory. Now judgment is a difficult word here. 
you could really replace it in the Hebrew, or in the Greek rather, with the word government, until government leads on to victory. You see, it's the kingdom of grace that Christ establishes in the hearts of all his people. And the governors among the Jews were first called judges. You remember that. Later on, they were called kings. Well, spiritual growth, this text is saying, means increasing submission to the kingship of Christ, the lordship of Christ. Where Christ reigns in us, our lusts will be subdued, our corruptions will be rooted out. We will learn to fight against the enemies of our soul in the power and might of Christ, in the authority of our Master. We will want to be holy as He is holy. And so when He says He will send forth government unto victory, what he actually means is, I, as the Lord Jesus Christ, I will so govern you, I will so lead you, I will so guide you in all the ups and downs of life, in all your joys and afflictions, that it will lead to victory, that it will lead to see all your hope in me. Increasingly, you will obey my will. Increasingly, this world will pale in significance. Increasingly, you will deny yourself, take up your crosses, and follow me. Increasingly, you'll learn to pluck out those eyes and cut off those hands, figuratively speaking, to cut off the lusts of your flesh. And there's a day coming when you will be led to ultimate victory, ultimate victory, where all infirmities and all shortcomings and all corruptions and all fear and all filth, you'll be delivered from it all. Yes, here, here, it often looks like Satan's going to prevail. But he won't. He, he may win a few skirmishes. But Christ will win the war in you. He'll win the war. You know, on June 6, 1944, was D-Day in Normandy, France, when the Allied troops landed there to defeat the armies of Hitler. They didn't realize it at the time. But that day marked the end of Hitler's power. The war wasn't over immediately took almost another year, yet the decisive battle was fought in Normandy. Hitler's strength was broken. And in retrospect, we now look back as post-historians, and we realize that the rest of the war was merely a mopping up of operations, cleaning up the remaining strength of Nazi Germany. And it's like that with Jesus. Calvary is D-Day, Victory Day, 2,000 years ago. And the time that remains between the D-Day of Calvary, when His blood was shed once for all, where we have the victory, and the second coming of Christ, is just a time of a mopping up operation. When Christ cleans out the pockets of resistance in our hearts that still remain under the influences of Satan. And so it's so important that you grasp this, dear believer. If you are a weak believer, you still have the victory in Christ. You're not fighting a lost cause. We're not on the side of a loser. We're on the side of a victor whose government over us shall bring us to ultimate victory. That's what the Lord's Shepherd shows us through his sufferings, 
through his death, he leads us on to victory in himself. We hear it in the word, we see it, we touch it, we feel it, we smell it, we taste it. Judgment, government leads on to victory. And in that victory, you see, Jesus loves all his people. He loves the little saint as much as the the greater saint. He loves the little ones as much as he loves the greater ones. He loves a child of God as much as he loves the most assured saint of God. You are just as much set justified as any other child of God, even if you are weak in faith. The victory has already happened. He crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. And now he says, do this in remembrance of me, not in remembrance of what you have done. See, that's where you get stuck. Because everything you've done is mixed with sin and you say, I don't deserve to be there. But you do it in remembrance of what he has done. That perfect work, that victorious work. And then was raised again for our justification. Oh, come to Jesus just as you are. Come to the supper of the Lord to know him better and better and better. Yes, but I'm so poor. You, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm so poor. I'm so weak. I... All the people of God I know are much, much better than me, much more holy than me. That may or may not be true. But you know what the Bible says? This man receiveth sinners. He's approachable. He's an approachable Savior. He receives sinners. Are you one of those? Oh, absolutely. Are you one of those whose sins bother you? Absolutely. Are you one of those who, whose only hope is outside of yourself in Christ? Absolutely. You belong here. Conversion is misery, deliverance, and gratitude. That's the basics. Heidelberg Catechism is so beautiful that way. If you know something of your sins that have driven you to Christ and your only hope is in Christ and you long to live more godly to Him out of gratitude, you have the basic marks. You may be a babe in grace still, but the Lord suffers for babes in grace. You may have the, base, you have the basic marks of grace. He will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoking flax. He's not going to say, why are you here at the Lord's Supper? He's going to say, why aren't you here? When your only hope is in me, this man receiveth sinners. So some of you are bruised reeds. You're smoking flaxes, and you're still questioning. Maybe you don't even know if you're going to go to the Lord's Supper next week. You say with John Newton over and over in his poem, "'Tis a point I long to know. Oft it causes anxious thoughts. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I His or am I not?' But have you ever heard of a man named Daniel Herbert who wrote a poem that answered Newton's poem? And as I close tonight, I just want to read a part of this poem because I think this is the answer you need. You need to listen to this poem very closely. Here it is. What is this point you long to know? Methinks I hear you say, tis this. 
I want to know I'm born of God, an heir to everlasting bliss. I want to feel more love to Christ. I want more liberty in prayer. But when I look within my heart, it almost drives me to despair. Is this the point you long to know? The dead can neither feel nor see. It is the slave that's bound in chains that knows the work of liberty. So where a want like this is found, I think I may be bold to say that God has fixed within thy heart what hell can never take away. However small shall thy grace appear, there is plenty in thy living head. These wants you feel, my Christian friend, were never found amongst the dead. You see, it's because Jesus will never break a bruised reed or quench the smoking flax, but will draw them both to himself that I have liberty to command you. Liberty not just to invite you. Liberty to command you to come to his table in remembrance of him. For this table is designed especially to strengthen the weak faith of a bruised reed and a smoking flax so that they come, so that you come, if I've described you tonight, saying with a man whose son was healed, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank thee so much. We thank thee so much that thou art a Savior who reaches out to bruised reeds and smoking flax. Lord, if that were not true, I would never be standing here tonight. I would never be preaching to this congregation. And it would be true of every child of God in this audience tonight if thou wast not the God of bruised reeds and smoking flaxes we would all have despaired long ago. But we thank Thee that in Thee is the victory, in Calvary, at the empty tomb, at the Father's right hand, and in Thy coming again, there is victory for bruised reeds and smoking flaxes who put their trust alone in Jesus Christ as the total cause, the 100% cause of our salvation. Please grant as the smallest babe in grace may do that next week, Sunday morning. Feed and bless thy people. But those who don't know what it means to be emptied of their own righteousness and to find their only hope in Jesus Christ, however weak it may be, do keep them away from the table, Lord, for it is only for those who have faith, albeit weak faith, but faith in Christ alone. And so... Let them, let them feel what they're missing. Let them be driven to Jesus Christ themselves and draw them at thy time and thy way to the Lord's Supper as well. Lord, we wait on thee. Come and bless this flock. Come and be near and dear to all of us and give us a good week to come and keep us in the palm of thy hand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.